And we were always told that we must not tell our clients that we are the first time at the place because you had to be the experienced tour guide. We had to be actors as well, not only tour guides sometimes. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have a very beautiful guest today, somebody who I have met in 1989 in New York. And even though we don't see each other very often, it's somebody who is very, very close to my heart. The last time we actually physically met was in Dubai in 2007. And when I started looking for her to talk to her on this podcast, I found out that she is still there. Carmen Flaminio, you are still in Dubai. How are you and what are you doing today? Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, I'm still in Dubai after all these years. Actually, I'm in my 15th year in the city at the moment. And uh, I'm now a retired person. But having, let's say, the experience, you know, of having been in sales and business development for a tour operator here in the UAE, knowing the destination so well, I took the licenses to guide, to be a destination host for tourists and anyone who wants to discover more of the Emirates. So I took the licenses for guiding in the country, Dubai, Abu Dhabi and the rest of it. And uh, just last year, I also took a guide course at the Louvre Abu Dhabi Museum. It's the first uh, universal museum in the Middle East, a beautiful uh, architectural uh, and uh, cultural uh, new addition to uh, Abu Dhabi. And uh, so I became an external guide for the Louvre Abu Dhabi as well. Unfortunately, now for the past year, there was no tours at all, as you can imagine. That's wonderful. So is it hard to become a local guide of the Emirate? Is it uh, easy to get a, a license? I mean, would it easier to be a local or, or can anybody become a guide of the Emirates? No, actually anybody can uh, become a guide. You can either be a freelancer or uh, working for a company that need maybe guides, especially in foreign languages. There are obviously Emirati guides for Arabic language. And there are foreign guides with a work permit in the UAE, and you can easily apply for a guiding course. Today, it's all as well done online, and uh, but you have to be a resident in the UAE. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's because you remember in the good old times when we had to get all these work permits and all these papers. But I want to go back to the beginning. How did all this start? Where were you born, Carmen? You know, I was born in uh, Germany. My mother is uh, German from the north near Münster. And uh, my father is Italian. He was an Italian immigrant from Naples. And uh, he opened up a beautiful ice cream parlor in Germany, which we kept for 15 years, and then back to Naples. In Naples, my father thought to do a good thing to inscribe my sister and myself into a Swiss uh, school. But then when his sister, a nun from Rome, came to visit, she said, oh, what are you doing? They have a Neapolitan accent. It's not possible. <laughs> have to send them in one of our boarding schools, you know, in uh, Tuscany. And so uh, we ended up, my sister and I, uh, for two years in Arezzo, this beautiful town in Tuscany, and in a boarding school. 
which I like very much. I have fond memories. Actually, I went back to visit the nuns in later years. It was a beautiful uh, experience, actually. But Naples, let's say, apart the accent, which I now I can mock, uh, you know, it's the city of my heart. It really is. Even having uh, visited the whole world, my heart is right there. Your heart is in Naples. Yes. So what did you do after school? So after school, I joined my parents on the Isle of Elba, where my father was directing a small hotel. And there I took my driving license. I was just 18 years old. You know, I wanted to proceed with university. I wanted to study psychology. Never happened because the um, owners of the hotel where my father was working they asked my father, lucky, because my father would have never let me go if I would have asked to work somewhere abroad. They asked my father to uh, let me go with them as a secretary. There, beside the hotel, they had a business of um, shoe representative for high-level uh, shoe houses, you know, like Maud Frison in uh, Paris, Saint-Germain. And so for one year, I traveled with this couple was just a, a couple and me and a dog, a Weimarana dog, which <laughs> sometimes they left me for a week in Paris where they had a home or in Milan and they went alone to some uh, trips and I had this big dog and I wasn't afraid to go out at night and enjoy, you know, uh, walking around Paris or Milan late at night with this big dog. And uh, so one year I worked with them and... They needed somebody speaking French. My uh, school, I had learned French as a second language and German, which was naturally for me. And uh, after one year, I said, I don't want to go back home or studying anymore. You know, I had experienced uh, freedom and traveling around Europe. And so I uh, decided, or better, my uncle gave me this nice suggestion, you know, why don't you travel with a, a travel company, my German uncle. And so I made a request to TUI and uh, Neckermann und Reisen, you know, and both came back and wanted to employ me. And I went to both interviews and I found the Neckermann people more uh, human, I thought, there, I related more uh, to them during that interview. So I was employed by Neckermann und Reisen in destination, you know, uh, in Europe uh, and also on a cruise ship, which was a very nice uh, experience for two years, you know, on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean up to uh, Egypt, uh, Greece, uh, Turkey, it was, uh, it was a nice experience, actually. So you started discovering the world. You started liking it. Okay. And I started, as, as far yes. as I know, once you put your foot in there, it's quite difficult to get out. And being on a cruise ship, how long were you on the cruise ship for? Two years. Two, two years. years. That's a long time on a cruise ship. Two years with a break of three months. You know, the season lasts more or less nine months. So I had a break of uh, three months. Yeah. Do you years. have any have any interesting cruise ship story? Uh, you know, actually, while I was after this cruise uh, ship season, I went back to the head office of Neckermann and they said, Carmen, you will be going with this colleague 
on the icebreaker, you know, in the Arctic, in a very exclusive ship, 128 people. And uh, um, you're coming to Bangkok for this, um, uh, there was a training course, okay? So on the day when everybody had to meet, I think we were 15 people of uh, Neckermann und Reisen, we had to meet to go to fly to Bangkok for this course. And suddenly this beautiful, nice Fräulein Wolf, she said, Carmen, but uh, not actually I'd, told her, I said, but you know I don't speak English, right? <laughs> <laughs> and she, I think she fell off this she fell off the seat, I'm telling you. You know, I said, Frau Flaminio, this cannot be possible. You know, I said, look at my CV. I never said I speak English. Actually, English was, you know, was a miracle for me. It came by itself in the years after it. And so Basically, from this wonderful possible engagement in, in, on this ship, I landed up in a little retail office of Neckermann in Stuttgart. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, It's, instead of going to the Arctic, I, you went to Stuttgart? I went to Stuttgart and I had to sell trips, let's say, for three months, you know. And then finally, then I don't know where exactly. Ah, and then it came, Fuerteventura came. And from there, I resigned. I worked for a small tour operator who was engaged with the Isle of Ischia. You know, many Swiss people, they went to the spa, healing spa in Ischia, where I had already worked for Neckermann. And this small Swiss company, they needed somebody to take care of their whole operation. It was a mammoth. Task. Didn't need to speak any English. And I didn't need to speak any English, you know. <laughs> and uh, yes, and so, but after uh, that episode, I went for a month, uh, to, uh, for one, uh, the first vacation after the cruise ship ordeal, I went to England with a in a family and I had some English lessons for the first time in my life, you know, which didn't serve much because there were a lot of Italians there. <laughs> But uh, let's say it uh, came up. Yeah. Okay. And then how long did you stay in Ischia? In Ischia, I had done for Neckermann maybe five seasons for this new company, two seasons, because this new company, that was again one of those destiny calls, this small company was taken over by Quorny. Okay, yeah? that's so, where our common life begins. Correct. And then yes. our common life began. And for yeah. Quorny, I stayed a little bit uh, on Ischia. And then uh, Maldives, Hong Kong. Nah, let's not go so fast. So what happened? Yeah. I remember that you were telling me some other story that I don't know. What did they tell you when you wanted to attend the training course of Kuoni? Uh, okay, yes. They, they wanted you to be serious about it. <laughs> Kuoni. Kuoni, you know, this mega tour operator from Switzerland that made it, uh, you know, they told me, this uh, nice uh, Mr. Uh, Müller, I remember, he told me, he said, uh, but uh, do you speak, uh, do you speak uh, Swiss or will you be just uh, hitting the chair uh, during the course, <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly that he told me. 
And then I didn't know what to say, but my sister, she was living since eight years in Luzern. And so I said, you know, I go for regular visits to my sister. We shop, we do. And uh, let's say I had uh, Swiss clients on Ischia already, you know, and so I shouldn't have any problems. And so I... They uh, accepted you because it, it, was, is imp it was important for these tour operators that our Swiss clients could speak Swiss German to us as tour guides. They didn't correct. want them. Yeah. Exactly. So, and Until then, today, I understand. And uh, when I meet some uh, Swiss anywhere in the world today, I can relate very closely. To uh -huh. And you hear them. You hear them from far away, and, don't yes. you? I do. I do. <laughs> so you went, you were employed officially by Kwoni and you went to the Maldives first or to Thailand first. Where did you go first? Okay, first I stayed on Ischia because okay. they also needed somebody on Ischia. And then... I did three seasons in the summer, Ischia, and winter, the first time Maldives, second time uh, Phuket, the third time Hong Kong. Okay, which year was, because uh, I did a podcast not long ago about working in the Maldives and I was uh, talking about how different it was then to how it must be now. I never went back, but I remember that there were no desalination plants. Our, our shower water was salty. Actually, I was the fortunate one, I'm telling you. I was on this little island called, um, not uh, uh, Vilivaru. Oh. And Vilivaru, they had a desalination plant. I didn't have one day with salty water. When I went to visit a, a colleague in Retira, which today is a luxury island. Yes. You know, during that time, there was no desalinated water. And I so, know. Uh, I I learned that there are this shampoo that you can use uh, even in salty uh, water, you know. So it was, uh, I mean, amazing, great experience. It was so different, so, so different. So different. And then you went to Thailand after that, after the Maldives? After the Maldives, Phuket. Yes. yes. Thailand. Was, yeah. Uh, Phuket. And uh, in Phuket, actually, I was the, the first a Kuni representative at all, you know. And so I opened the destination and um, I became very uh, friends with a colleague, uh, you know, uh, which was my boss uh, at the time, this uh, Marian, who was in charge, you know, for all the contracting and everything. So uh, that was, um, yes, Phuket. There was no... Mind you, there was no paved road from the north <laughs> to the south of the <laughs> island. That was only that came when I left, you know. And I remember when I had to take around my boss, you know, one uh, time she had pity on me because her hotel was obviously the first beautiful five-star hotel, the Meridian, in the south of the island. And I was living two hours far away from her. And so she said, you know what, why don't you sleep here tonight, <laughs> you know? And so <laughs> she hosted me in her, uh, in her room and to continue the trip the next day and avoiding me to go, you know, two hours back and forward. Yeah. It's so funny because I stayed, I worked in, the, in Phuket for three months and I actually stayed at the Meridian for these okay. three months. Yeah. So, and, and when I was there, the roads were paved, but I, I mean, driving in Phuket was, was crazy. I, I was driving this big pickup truck and I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm alive. I had this Toyota pickup yeah. and each, each time 
the employees of the hotel where I was living saw me going towards the parking lot. There was a whispering all around. And suddenly I had 15 to 20 people in the back of the truck that wanted to go, you know. They wanted, wanted a ride. <laughs> they wanted a ride down the hill, you know, where they could take easily a bus. Or, uh -huh. uh, <laughs> okay. Let's move on now to when did you go to New What happened? When did you get to New York? To New York, I got after Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, I had to write my English reports. <laughs> so finally, I had to confront myself a little bit more uh, with English. And I got a little bit more uh, confident. And uh, maybe I cheated a little bit one when they told me, you know, there is uh, the possibility to be based in, uh, in New York, you know, and I did not mention anything about the English language anymore, you know, because it was really a place that I wanted to go. And so I ended up in uh, uh, New York being the resident manager for this uh, huge operation, you know, of um, uh, round trips, uh, reconfirming basically the, the link Uh, between uh, Switzerland and all the round trips to be done uh, in the country. And that was in 1988. That was in 1988 when I arrived and I stayed in New York for, uh, seven, uh, for seven years. It was a fantastic uh, time. My friend Marian, who came three weeks after I arrived in uh, New York, my friend Marian came. And she said, I have to introduce you to this former colleague of ours, also a lady who had worked corny. But she said to Marian, look, I don't want to know anyone anymore from corny because now I'm doing something else. I don't want to meet anyone. Of course, No, no, McCartman is different. You have to meet her. The boyfriend of this lady, he was a Napolitan, Franco. <laughs> And so Marianne said, no, but she's Italian, she's from Naples, you have to meet her. And so I met this uh, Trudy, you know, and we became friends for life. And let's say what I have taken away from New York, beside the job, I was comfortable doing my job, even if, uh, let's say, at that time, all my colleagues still spoke English better than myself, you know, but to my side, I had probably the experience of already many uh, years in the business. But, uh, you know, I grew in New York. I met uh, Trudy and her boyfriend. They were, uh, you know, in cultural circle. They knew artists, you know. I knew this uh, Stefano Biccini, Italian painter. So I got into a very nice ambience, which I didn't know. And, by, and also, you know, our office was in Midtown Manhattan, very close to Metropolitan Opera. Mm -hmm. After seven days that I arrived, I said, I want to do a walk. I hadn't yet been to the Metropolitan Opera, studying, you know, for my job with the person who was leaving. And so one evening I decided, okay, I go to Lincoln Square. And what I didn't know, there are people selling tickets. And there was this gentleman, his wife got sick and he was selling a ticket. I said, what for? Because it was, there was... Carmen all over, but uh -huh. they've been for another time. So my very first opera ticket at the Met was for $35 at Carmen. Of course, opera. Carmen you know, went to so, Carmen. You know, so that was a good omen, I thought. 
you know, and then uh, with my friends, we also went to concert. And uh, since I was also living so close, maybe to uh, Carnegie Hall, we were waiting at the stage door for Pavarotti to come out, for Riccardo Muti to come out and greet them. You know, so it was nice. Because at the time you were living at the, at the Omni Park Center, weren't you? you were living in the, in the office or next to the office. Correct. Yes. We had uh, we had such a big business in New York during those days that uh, we had accommodation for tour leaders mm-hmm. and also myself. I from these seven years, I think I lived three years at the Omni Park and four years uh, just across the street. Yeah. Yes, yeah. because yeah. Uh, you know when all the tour guides came to town, it was quite a bit of a circus, wasn't it? Until everybody was accommodated and everybody had to. We had to go on excursions and sometimes people didn't want to go on the excursion. Sometimes they didn't want to go. And at the office, our main concern was have the bus doors closing, you know, and then it was peace again. You know, which bus do I have to go? Nobody wanted to go on that one. No, I go on this one, you know. But then when the bus door were closed, we know that all people there, there was peace. very happy. Yes, yeah, there was yes. peace. Yeah. But we had a lot of fun, you know. At that time, I don't know if this was also when you were uh, in New York. There was this, uh, there was this Trump shuttle giving away oh, yes. uh, coupons, you know, coupons to uh, guests, and the guests obviously they passed them on uh, to us because they were proceeding immediately for Switzerland. They couldn't use them. Yeah. So we were just uh, in the office. We were just collecting this voucher. And when a nice group of uh, uh, guides were there, we would go in these beautiful uh, restaurants, you know, and have a nice meal on the health of our guests. <laughs> on, tr- on Trump's account? Because... I remember flying from Washington to New York at the end of some of the tours. We we were flying on the Trump shuttle. Correct, yes. And the Trump shuttle was every hour. And if you came a little early to the airport, like if you were booked for the 12 o'clock shuttle, but you came to the airport at 20 to 11, they would put you on the 11 o'clock shuttle. And there was no security. There was no passport control. They took the luggage from the bus to the plane. When you think of that today, it's unimaginable. Unimaginable. I remember the guides were so happy. You know, we have to do nothing. All luggage is brought and they were just on the flight. It was, yeah, it was amazing, actually. It was amazing. Did you travel around the US? Did you go to... uh... Yes. Before, when I started, I had been uh, personally once before in uh, the US, but uh, many things I hadn't seen, like the national parks, Grand Canyon, and so. So before really starting, uh, the job I was uh, I went on one of the uh, the tours the West Coast I remember with the Grand Canyon which is best of, of the West our, probably best of the West yes Grand, yes, Grand yes. Canyon became one of my personal seven wonders you know this uh, view of an upside <laughs> oh I know I remember the first time. I went to the Grand Canyon, was on a tour. I was still working for Air Tour Swiss at the time. but And we were always told that we must not tell our clients that we are the first time at the place because you had to be the experienced tour guide. And I remember getting out of the bus and looking at this Grand Canyon and I thought, oh, 
oh my God, this is beautiful. I have never seen, and you know, I had to pretend it. Like, oh, you know, I've been here many times. It's <laughs> so <laughs> we had to be actors as well, not only tour guides sometimes. Yes, yes, I remember. Wow, that was amazing. So how do you think it would be now to work in New York? I mean, things have changed so much. Ah, yes, I remember when we were talking at some point, you were telling me that you were allowed to go and buy a fax machine. That's correct. You know, the first, okay, at the beginning, I had to go with this little yellow stripe down to an office at the Omni Park where they had six telex machine, uh-huh. you know, and sent my typewriter uh, notes, you know, with this telex uh, band, this yellow band uh, to uh, Switzerland. And then I believe in the second season, I got the first fax, little small uh, fax machine. And uh, yeah, that, that slowly changed. And it was your own fax. It, you didn't have to share it with the hotel anymore. That was your own no, number. That was uh, my own number. And it was just correspondence between the head office of Kuoni and us in New York. It was, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, when you think of it today, I sometimes think how it would be like to be on a bus, you know, on a, a guide. Everybody would be Googling what you're saying. Everybody would be you know, and if a hotel was overbooked and you couldn't go there and you would go to another one, they would probably call their lawyer because, yes. <laughs> you know, in those years, it was just you know, people were listening to us and they were, you know, they were trusting us. And it was just right. it was it was easier. It was easier. And uh, no, definitely, you know, those were first time people. Uh, travel to the U.S., you know, I suppose that today Swiss people, you know, in their 50s, they have been at least once maybe already, you know, in the country. And this is also why at the end the office totally changed. It merged with a local incoming company because basically people by then, they booked a van and they did their own traveling. So they they needed the van booking and hotel booking, all yeah. the best they did yeah. by themselves, yeah. you know. Yeah, and of course also, um, first of all, the internet, you know, once the internet, uh, once people started booking their own tickets, everything changed. And also, many of our clients, our older clients didn't speak any English. And then when the younger people started uh, traveling or when it was more younger people, they they spoke English, they could communicate on their own. I mean, we had a lot of people who just spoke one language. They spoke either French or German and we had exactly. to do everything. Yes. So so that's kind of, that was then towards the end when there wasn't enough work anymore. You Exactly. You, that was towards the end and it coincided with Kuoni having the very first destination with a daily charter flight that never happened before a daily charter flight to London from Zurich yeah. for a fantastic price advertised all over, you know, even in London, because it was a going and coming also for uh, British people to go to uh, Switzerland, like a sort of uh, new charter. And uh, this charter flight was from Edelweiss Air. And for that flight, basically, I went to the uh, London, to London, we literally opened up uh, this uh, uh, operation uh, office 
and sometimes we were like eight people uh, working there because beside the daily charter flight, we had all the scheduled airlines yeah. to take care of. And we had sometimes up to 300 people uh, arriving. In one day. day? In one day. Oh, my and God. You can imagine the you And we had, I remember that the big boss came over from Switzerland to celebrate the 50,000 client in oh, one wow. season, you know. Yeah. So yeah. that was uh, that was a huge, huge operation, very tiring, but also, again, my personal life rewarded from uh, many things, especially in the later years, you know, when everything, again, because of technology, you know, went down the hill because our flight got huge competition from EasyJet. Yeah. It was the, the advent of EasyJet. And obviously from internet. Internet yeah. Yeah. was yeah. born yeah. when I was in uh, London, you know, and yeah. That's the thing, you know, when you are going through these years, these years that we experienced, we started with a telex machine and the yellow right. striped, but you know, the one with the little holes. And when you stepped exactly. on it, you couldn't use it anymore. You had to start it again. And then... We had a fax and uh, we depended still on a, on a phone line. And we, ha we had charter flights, but they were good quality charter flights. I remember Balair was a good airline. And then, of course, the beginning of all the low-cost carriers. I think once all the low-cost carriers started, our job became something very different. Something It became really more or less obsolete. But you did stay in London for quite a long time, didn't you? Yeah, I did nine years. I yeah. stayed in London for yeah. nine years. The last few years, I actually managed by myself the whole, uh, that what was left, let's say, from the operation. It was nice. Uh, uh, London, my brother also uh, still lives in London. So I had a little, it was like having also a little bit of family in London. Yeah. And then at the end, um, in 2004, Kony decided that they would assign, let's say, the assistance and operation to local DMC, destination management company, locally. So not have these people, you know, from Switzerland uh, displaced in the destination, but use the destination management companies for it. But there were still two destinations that I could have gone to, which was one was Recife and one Barcelona. Barcelona, I would have liked to, but I would have needed to start from the bottom on, uh -huh. you know, which I didn't want to do. And so I took, uh, you know, I said, okay, that's it. 19 yes. years, that's yes. it, you know. And uh, I took leave and uh, I did a, a sabbatical year yeah. before starting again to yeah. uh, basically to, uh, to look for a job. And I remember I strongly wanted to do something completely different. Working for a charity was my uh, biggest uh, aim. But without experience, nobody accepted. And I was already 52 at the yeah. time. Can yeah. you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. In Europe, it was uh, basically out of question. And so... Again, my friend Marianne, who introduced me so nicely to New York, my friend Marianne, she said, why don't you come to the ITB, this uh, tourism fair in, in Berlin, Berlin, yeah. in Berlin yeah. and assist me so I can save on one person to fly from Mexico. And I said, okay, done. 
I said, you know. And so we had dinner one evening with one of her clients, a German clients, and she said, you know, I think in Dubai and the Middle East was one of the places where I had never uh, just been a little bit for vacation would have interested me a lot. I said, you know, I know um, hotel managers, I know destination management company in Dubai. And basically to make a long story short, I ended up with a destination management company uh, in Dubai. And uh, And that's how the circle closed. And that's where you still are. That's right. That's wonderful. So so let me just ask you a very interesting question. Which one did you like more, New York or London? You know, I have to say New York because of my personal growth. Yeah. It was not because of the cities, all the places where I've been. I got something from, yeah, but yeah. for my personal growth, that was uh, because you had to, there. Were, it was a lot of work at the beginning. You had to grow fast, didn't you? I had to grow fast in the work, but and then in my personal life, all these interests, you know, having friends, uh, um, having friends outside the job. Yeah, that I believe yeah. was very very healthy, which do- yeah. doesn't happen every time, yeah, but it because, happened there. And I still have a, that's the best it could ha- that could happen to me. Yeah, That's great. Yeah, because we tend to stick to the tourism people, don't we? And it's then it right. gets boring and it's all the same. So maybe what? not boring. It doesn't get boring, but uh, it's it limits. Yes, you know? yes, limits. yes. You don't open up to new possibilities and new okay. knowledge. What is your most favorite place in the whole world? I have always said, and I repeat, that's the Gulf of Naples, where I also (laughs) worked for many years. You know, actually, you know, Naples is a magnet for me. And I'm never there. Uh, But I went for my 60th birthday. You know, my uh, father lays uh, in Naples. Yeah. You know, uh, that is really... So that's home. That's home. That's that's okay. where your heart is at home, even though it okay. it, it never really lived there for so long. But I we lived, do. I lived in Naples for I think uh, ten years. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. also when I was working on Ischia, obviously the airport was Naples. Yeah. My parents were 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 there, so I was uh, I was playing at home more or less. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But mm. that's that's amazing with all the places with with Hong Kong and Phuket and New York and London. But it's Naples. But every place is special. But if I have to say, like you know, like a sort of spiritual connection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Naples. And if we before we finish, because my podcast is called Most Memorable Journeys. Which was your most memorable journey of all the journeys you've been on? That's a big, big question. Maybe I can say I had a very nice episode on Phuket where I told you people coming, jumping on the pickup truck, you know. And one time I was friends with the receptionist of the hotel and she said, do you want to come to a local festival with us? You know, and so I went to this local festival and I was the only foreigner in the whole place. And it was very, very touching. Interesting. I remember when I was working in Phuket, I had a friend who was also, no, she was working for Thai Airways. 
And she always wanted to come and stay at my room at my hotel because they loved the hotels and they loved all the nice facilities in the hotels. <laughs> and I once allow, I said, you, you know, I had a double room and we were out the night before. So I said, you know, you come and stay. I've got plenty of space. And after that, the whole hotel was talking about me because I had taken a young Thai lady with me to the hotel. It was just because she loved all these facilities and all, all these marble bathrooms so much. The Thai people are beautiful and they are pure. And, uh, you know, and at the, now that I'm thinking, I, I wasn't expecting the question right now, but also, let's say, in south of Mexico, Oaxaca, San Cristobal de las Casas, you know, where the shaman in this uh -huh. church, that was another really... Uh, so it's a bit, it's, it's, it's spirituality that is your most memorable. Yeah, probably. Memorable. Yeah, yeah. Probably, yes. Okay. Probably. <laughs> okay, one last question. What's on the program? If let's, for example, say if a miracle happened and you could travel tomorrow, where would you go? Tomorrow, I would probably travel to Yemen, but that should be a real miracle. Yeah, well, at the moment, we are not traveling anywhere, but uh, because of COVID, COVID. I, I could have access so easily in the first years that I was in London, and I always regretted not yeah. having been yeah. uh, to Yemen, you know, and now it's a little bit too, a little bit late. Yeah. But yes, uh, Yemen would interest me a lot. Iran would interest yes. me a yes. lot. Yes, yes. My daughter you know. went to Iran for a whole month yes. in 2019, yes. and I still haven't been, and I want yeah. to go. We should and go together. Is, yeah, that would interest me a lot. Yeah, I love yeah, destination. Yeah. Okay, Carmen, this was lovely and it was beautiful to go down memory lane with you because uh, this is what we have in common. It's a whole life, isn't it? Starting from uh, the dream of wanting to travel and then, uh, you know, being closed down by EasyJet or by <laughs> a low-cost carrier. So thank you so much for okay. being my guest today. Most welcome, and I thank you so much for inviting me, Elizabeth. Let's hope we can get together soon. Exactly. All yes. right. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes. <laughs>